You ever watch how we inaugurate a new president? You ever watch those events, how, how big of a deal it is? Really, if you watch it, it lasts uh, for several days, and there's several days of events that go on, and on, on that big day, uh, all the TV stations, all the news stations are focused in on it, and it starts at the White House, and there's, a, there's an early breakfast there, and, and all the symbolic events start to take place, and the, the, the outgoing president has his last uh, dinner and some pictures with his staff, and then he goes and he writes a letter and leaves it in the desk for the, for the new president, and a whole bunch of symbolic things are taking place, and, and all these things at the White House, and then it moves to the Capitol, and there's, there's bands there, and there's speeches there, and the the, the chief Supreme Court justice comes, and at the right time, he, he swears in the incoming president, and then you have his speech and his great speech, and, and there's a huge crowd all around. Um, most of the recent presidents are there. The most recent vice presidents are there. Uh, all those folks seated there, the, the military's there, and they have all their, their, their fancy clothes on and the admirals and generals, and it is a big, big, big deal. They, they finish there, and they go in the motorcade, and they drive down the street, and there's people waving and, 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 and throwing balloons and all this stuff. And then that evening, as, as the whole day has progressed, uh, they go to eight or 10 or even 12 different inaugural balls. And they stop into another one and there's, there's people in their fancy clothes and, and food and, and dancing and, and famous bands and famous singers. And it is a crazy event. It is a tremendous event. Uh, the total cost of the last several presidential inaugurations uh, has approached $200 million. Can you imagine that? $200 million spent in a day in all this celebration, all this stuff, all this hoopla, $200 million spent. And just like any other day, the sun comes up and the sun goes down, and the next day there's a new president. But when I think about that, isn't that really what we would expect? And as crazy and as absurd as that may seem, isn't that really how it should be as we celebrate an incoming president and all the hopes that's going to come with that president. Isn't that really how it should be? Today, as we move along in our study of the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see the most backward coronation of any king ever. Really the most unexpected, the most unrivaled, and yet the most backward coronation we've ever seen. Our message today is entitled, The Backwards Coronation, The Backwards Coronation. We're in Luke chapter 23, today verses 34 through 38. Chapter 23, verses 34 through 38. To set the context, I'm going to back up and include verse 33 as we read today. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 23, beginning here in verse 33, it says this. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
Now there was an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful for the truth of the gospel. We're thankful for the truth of the cross. We're thankful for the truth that you are alive, that our Redeemer lives today. We're thankful that in that we have hope. We have peace. That we can trust our eternity, our lives, our very breath to you. And so we're thankful again for the truth of this gospel. Lord, I, I pray today as we have assembled that we have glorified you. I pray that our hearts echo our love for you, that you're truly worshiped in our assembling today. Lord, I, I pray now as we begin to, to study your word, I pray that it would be what you intend. I pray that it is a supernatural event. And I pray that we are, we are gripped in this service today, that our hearts are changed in this service today. I pray it's a powerful event as we hear the word of God today. Lord, I pray for some in this hour, this service that do not know you. I pray that in this day, in this message, in this event, that today might be the day of their salvation. I pray that you would move in their hearts, that their ears would be opened again. Today would be the day that they find Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for us here today as believers that, that we would be trained today, that we would be shaped today, that we would be encouraged today. And I pray the result of all of that is that you would have great glory. Lord, we thank you, our Savior, our King, our Redeemer. We, we thank you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. I remind you again today that we look at the actual historical literal account of the crucifixion of Jesus, the actual account. Understand, these are the events, these are the happenings exactly as they occurred. Now, sometimes in our distance from the event, I'm afraid we start to gloss that over. Or, we, or maybe we, in the distance from the event, start to forget that. Well, understand today and be reminded again this very morning, we are reading the exact details of the execution of our Lord Jesus. My hope is that we are impacted by that. These are the exact details of the crucifixion of Jesus. My prayer is that we would be shaped by these events, the exact details of the execution of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In that mindset, let us look at our verses. Starting in verse 33 again. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Bible tells us when they reached Calvary, when they reached Golgotha, the place of the skull, this, this hilltop just outside of the, the city walls, the most shame inflicting, the most pain inflicting, the most gruesome, terrible form of execution is administered to Jesus. And when they came to the place of the skull, they crucified Jesus. Now understand, he had already been beaten unmercifully already. He is then stripped naked. He is nailed through the hands and the bone of his wrist and through his ankle bones to the beam and to the post of the cross. That cross is stood up 
and the torturous execution continues. At that point, the panic of suffocating is fixed against the pain of pulling against the nails and Jesus is there on the cross existing in pure agony. Now I want you to understand that is the cross. That was the point to the cross. That is the reality of the cross. Jesus is there and he is in pure agony. That's the point to the cross. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left, verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Now notice the word that verse 34 starts with. Notice that word, but. But. This crazy word of contrast. Be sure and notice this, but. This word, but, really paints our Savior and his gospel. This, this word of contrast, but, really portrays our Savior and his gospel. Jesus truly is a contrast. His gospel truly is a contrast. You see, where the world comes along and says, serve yourself, but Jesus serves the world. The world says the race is the first, but Jesus says the last shall be first. The world says, come and chase the temporary, pour your efforts into the temporary, but Jesus says it's the eternal that's all that's gonna matter. Yes, Jesus is portrayed in this simple word of contrast, but. Now listen to it now. Verse 33, they crucify him. He exists in agony. They nail him to the cross. Verse 33, they crucify him. Verse 34, but he prays for them. Listen, that, that's always Jesus. That's always been Jesus. That's nothing new. That's, that's always who Jesus is. Remember, on the way to the cross, outside of Jericho, he stops and he heals hopeless, blind Bartimaeus and he gives him hope. That's Jesus. Remember, on the way to his own death, on the way to, to the cross, he pauses and he looks up in the tree at the little short center up there, Zacchaeus, and he saves him and he draws him into fellowship. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. That is Jesus. That's always been Jesus. They crucify him, but he prays. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father is a Greek word that is really not the formal title for a father. Really, when you find that word and, and, and when it's used in the Greek, it is a common way to address your father, to address your dad. It is a conversational way that you would address your father. Now, the word shows the intimate relationship. I'm using this word reflects this intimate relationship. It shows this close connection. And you can't, you can't fake that. It is a close connection. Now, I want you to understand it's not infantile as some have made it. It's not silly as some have made it. It shows a close, intimate relationship. And so he says, Father, Dad, Father, forgive them 
for they do not know what they are doing. See this. Remember this. He prays for their forgiveness. I want you to remember that. Here at this point, existing in agony, nailed to the cross, he prays for their forgiveness. How far is the scope of this prayer? How, how far does it reach? Is it just for the soldiers who nail him to the cross as they draw back his hand and they place a nail there and as they drive the nail into his hand? Is it just for them? Is it just for these soldiers? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Or does it include the religious leaders? the members of the Sanhedrin, those who are now making sport of him, those who are making jest of him, does it include them as well? Father, forgive them. What about the high priests who I'm sure are somewhere cloaked in their lofty positions? Those who are rejoicing as their plan goes forward, as their plan takes shape, as they've made this crazy, insidious plan, as they're rejoicing somewhere, does it include them as well? Father, forgive them. What about the crowd? Those Jews who boldly yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Well, do you want this one instead? No, crucify him. Does it include them? What about those who stood somewhere in silence? Does it even include them? What about these Jews? Does it include them? Father, forgive them. Or dare it reach all mankind? Dare it reach for even us, each of us, each of us as sinners responsible for this cross, each of us responsible for his cross, does it reach to us, dear Lord, let it include us. Father, forgive them. Verse continues, it says, and they cast lots, they gambled for his clothing, his clothes. Remember 900 years earlier, David wrote a song. And one of the lines in Psalm 22, verse 18, 900 years earlier says this. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is the one. 900 years later, this is this day. There are these soldiers that may have been part of their pay, that may have been part of their tradition, but they, they divide up his clothes and they gamble to see who's gonna be the victor for his clothes. Verse 35. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one, now see this here in verse 35. Jesus is on the cross and it says the people stood by looking on. Try to picture this today, this event. The people are standing by looking on. They're watching, they're peering, they're looking to the cross that Jesus has been crucified on. Understand, it is not a natural thing to watch somebody in such a gruesome position. It is not a normal thing. And so here they are. And at one time they yelled out, crucify him. But now as he's nailed to the cross, they stand in silence and they watch Jesus on the cross. Can you picture that? He draws a breath. 
Maybe there's a cry of agony. Blood starts to run down the post, drip from his hands. They watch him. They watch him. Can you imagine that? And it says, and even the rulers, those of the Sanhedrin, those of the ruling council, says even the rulers were sneering at him. Now the word sneering means in the original language to, to mock greatly, to, to, to make fun of, to mock greatly. It means to scoff at. Now it literally translates to, to raise your nose in the direction of the event or the person. So they are, they are making fun of Jesus. They are, they are mocking Jesus. Now the crowd has gone silent and the crowd is watching the cross, but these of the ruling class, they are throwing their nose up and they're mocking the Savior on the cross. Now see what they're mocking. He saved others. They've heard that. In fact, no doubt that's why they're upset. They've heard that. Maybe perhaps some of them have even seen that. There were folks walking around that had been healed, folks that they'd seen miraculous things. And so they say, he saved others. They have heard that. They've seen that. He saved others. Let him save himself. Understand, they are mocking his claim to be the Savior. Also, they say, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, See here, they're mocking his claim to be the Messiah. Understand that was his message all the way through. What was Jesus' message? He was teaching. He is the Messiah. Look to me. I am the Messiah, the one come from God. He confirmed it with many miracles. They had heard that. They knew that was his message. They hated that message, and they are mocking here his claim to be the Messiah. If he's the chosen one of God, if he's the Messiah, save himself. Verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine. The Roman soldiers now get in on the act. They hear the Jews' logic and they jump in. And that's what happens here. It says they are offering him sour wine. Now, sour wine. Most likely it was a low quality wine. It was mixed most likely with water. They would drink it with their meals. They would drink it while they were at work. And so this was the soldier's wine. And so they're offering it to him. And it says they mock him, offering him wine, saying, verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now understand this. They are mocking the claim that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Now, remember all the way back in verse 3, Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Is that who you claim to be? Is that who you report to be? Are you the king of the Jews? And remember the answer. Jesus says, it is as you say. Well, these Roman guards are mocking his claim to be the king. Now, I want you to see this. Follow what's happening here. Follow their logic. They are saying, how can you be the Savior if you can't save yourself? That's worldly logic. Friends, that makes sense. They are saying here, how can you be the one of God? How can you be the Messiah if you're so disgraced by the hands of men? That's worldly logic. Friends, that makes sense. 
They're saying, how can you be the king? How can you usher in a kingdom as you die nailed to a criminal's cross? That's the world's logic. Friends, that makes perfect sense. And they're saying, since we see you here, nailed to the cross, blood running out, gasping for air, not in glory, not in exaltation. You are not the Savior. You're not the Messiah. No way are you the Messiah. You are nobody's king. We see you on the cross. That's the world's logic. Friends, that makes sense. How are you gonna save anybody you can't save yourself? How are you gonna rule a kingdom? You die here today. How are you the promise of God? Look what men have done to you. That's the world's logic. Friends, that makes sense. But listen to me. Oh, listen to me. Their problem is the gospel's not logical. The problem is God's not bound by the expectations of men. Their problem is this whole thing started with a but. Yes, he's nailed to the cross, but the cross proclaims, I am the Savior sent for sin. I am the Savior, the only one, the only hope you're ever gonna have, but your salvation results from my dying. And the cross shouts that he's the Savior. The cross says, I am the Messiah. I am the one that was promised, the one sent from God. In fact, God himself, only he would die for you. Only he can take your place. And this is where death is defeated. This is where sin is remedied. This is where sinners are redeemed. And the crowd and the cross shouts, yes, 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 he's the Messiah. Not only that, the cross emphatically, clearly shouts throughout all eternity, I am the king Soon you will see my glory. Soon a crown is coming and not this crown of thorns. Soon a throne is coming and not this beam of wood. And the cross proclaims of its temporary resident, his permanent status. He is the king. He is the king. All hail the king. Verse 38. Now there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. The most backward coronation ever. The plate on the top of the cross, above his head on the cross, on it was to be written the charge against the criminal. They would write the, the, the crime that he had committed and there, as you came by, you could connect the crime with the punishment and maybe it was to be a deterrent, but they would write the crime of the criminal there on the plate above his head. Well, Pilate, as a joke, ridiculing this ridiculous situation, wrote, the Bible says in Latin, in Aramaic, and in Greek. Latin for the law, Aramaic for the Jews, and Greek for the world. This is the king of the Jews. What a backwards coronation. This 
is the king of the Jews. Back in verse 34, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Folks, I want you to see that prayer is answered in Jesus himself. Oh, Father, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. They know not what they do. That prayer is answered in Jesus himself. For sins and for sinners, Jesus is the answer. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the King. And though the world said, no, he can never be. The cross declares it forever. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the King. And Jesus answers the question with his own life. Friends, for sinners, Jesus is the answer. We're forgiven because of him. We're forgiven because of that cross. Friends, Jesus is the answer. He answers it himself. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I, and I sit and I watch these four or five verses and I am in awe. And I see the world's logic and it makes perfect sense. How can he be a savior? How can he be the Messiah? Look at what people have done to him. How can he ever be a king? No king of mine. Look at him. How can he be a king? Lord, I'm thankful for the backward logic of the gospel that in dying, he saves us. In going, he is the Messiah, the only one who could go, the only one who would go. There, on that ridiculous cross, he sits, he reigns as the king. Lord, I pray that we would understand that's our hope. I pray that we would understand that's our answer and I pray as we, as we march through this world and we, we sin and we rebel and we carry the guilt and the condemnation of sin that we would understand, Lord, the only answer is that you went to that cross. Lord, I pray for some here for the very first time to receive that forgiveness as they claim Jesus, your son, as their own. Lord, I pray for us here as sinners, save sinners. We would have a renewed picture of the cross, a renewed picture of the cost of our redemption. It would shape how we live, how we think, how we talk, how we respond. Lord, let us be shaped by this cross. Lord, I pray as we wrap up this service, we end this time, I pray that you would move, that you have spoken, that you continue to speak. I pray that our pride would be set down and that you would deal with the hearts of men. And I pray for someone in this room today to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Seeing this picture, we exalt you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.